If you're a California conservative, a libertarian, a moderate Democrat, believe in common sense, or just a sane person, this is the political podcast for you. It's the California Underground Podcast. What's going on? Good morning, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Coffee in California Politics. How's everyone doing this morning? It looks like summer is sticking around for a little bit. I thought it was going to get cool off a little bit, but it's... Uh, it's still a little warm down here in San Diego, so it seems like um, summer is not completely over. Well, summer doesn't officially end until like September 22nd, so for all those who are rushing out to get pumpkin spice lattes, I can't have a pumpkin spice latte until maybe mid-September, maybe right at the beginning of September, but I can't... Anybody who rushes out and gets a pumpkin spice latte immediately right in August, I... I I don't know. It just seems weird when it's like 85 degrees out and you're you're, you're trying to um, drink a, a pumpkin spice latte. So someone's getting ready for their fantasy draft. They just said in the chat. Uh, awesome. I have not been invited to any fantasy drafts this year, which is a shame because I usually like doing fantasy drafts um, and fantasy football football coming up next weekend. Uh, Labor Day weekend. Usually it starts. Doesn't football start? I don't know. I'm in the middle of baseball the Mets are in the middle of a run to make it to the playoffs so I'm more focused on that every game I have uh Ajita and heartburn and I can't take it because it's just too close and it's coming down to the wire for the Mets trying to hold on to their lead in the division but I'm getting like way off point now um so let's talk about what's going on uh tomorrow uh some announcements uh tomorrow will be the return of the podcast i know that we took a couple weeks off we were trying to deal with some technical stuff we're still looking into that um yeah, the mets are gonna lose listen man i've been a mets fan my whole life uh so i'm used to disappointment with the mets which is why i'm waiting for the other shoe to fall i you know i every time they don't do well or they lose a game i i automatically think this is the end they're gonna they're gonna lose they went a lot better this year than i was uh, originally expecting so um so, yeah, I'm just enjoying it right now. But the typical Mets fan is always going to have some sort of uh, apprehension. And they're playing the Dodgers right now, who are the best team in baseball. I don't know if there's any Dodger fans on the feed right now. Um, but, yeah, Dodgers are a good team. They're a pain in the ass. That's what they are. Uh, so, anyway, uh, announcements tomorrow will be the return of the podcast. I know it was a couple weeks off. There was technical difficulties and there was some stuff I was out for, um, you know, a little summer break, which is fine. Tomorrow, we're going to do the uh, fact-checking of Newsom's TikToks, and uh, we're going to go over those. Uh, Cynthia will be back. Uh, we're also going to be joined by the best uh, political researcher in California, Camille. Uh, we're perfect person to be fact-checking all of this stuff. Yes, politics season is all year round, and politics is going to heat up in the next couple of weeks as people get back. I'm sure you've already seen a lot of the ads uh if anyone else is sick of the prop 727 and prop 26 let me know we're almost at the point now where most of these coffee and california politics are going to be dedicated to the different propositions coming down the stretch oh yes the breaking news which i just posted sb866 has been pulled which is fantastic news for us here in california that was the one controversial bill i know a lot of parents were very upset about and that was the one that we all wanted to go away uh, breaking news just as of like 15 minutes ago, Senator Scott Weiner pulled SB 866. 
meaning that that bill is dead for the legislative session. I don't know if it'll come back next year. I wouldn't put it past Scott Weiner to try again to do it next year. But I think a lot of, and we talked about this with Jonathan at the last legislative roundup, and we'll probably have to have another legislative roundup um, soon because now that the session is ending, It'll be interesting to kind of talk about what made it, what didn't make it, how uh, how these things kind of got pressured to be dropped, who, who kind of fell which way. Um, so it would be interesting to do a legislative session and seeing which are not passing, which are not making. Um, and yeah, it's it's been a busy season, but now the legislative session is over. SB 866 is done. Um, it is dead for this year. So yeah, status. I've been keeping an eye on SB 918. Not sure what's going on with that. I haven't heard a lot about SB 918, even though we're coming up on the sort of deadline. It'd be great if it kind of goes away and just dies. I know the California Sheriff's Association pushed back on SB 918. And um, that was, uh, I don't know what's going on with that, but the California Sheriff's Association, which wasn't joined by all of the sheriffs in California, um, so, uh, let's see. So it failed by, am I, is that, uh, Osvaldo who, uh, is a proud owner of the don't eat the bugs t-shirt. Uh, look great, buddy. Thank you for, for rocking that t-shirt. I know you're showing it off, um, with the steaks that you were picking up. Um, so that was awesome. Also, it's still available. Don't eat the bugs. And a lot of people, when I first came out with this shirt, people were like, I don't really get what this shirt is about, but there's more and more. I'm sure you're hearing more and more talk about, you know, cockroach milk and um, eating bugs and how worm burgers have enough protein, more protein than beef burgers and stuff like that. Um, I was actually invited to a barbecue last week and they had said, oh, we're going to have impossible burgers and gluten-free buns. Uh, I wanted to just snarkily reply to the email thread and say, uh, are you guys going to have any healthy options as in like normal beef burgers? Because Lord knows what's going on in those impossible burgers that, you know, plants aren't supposed to taste like beef. Let's uh, let's just talk about that. You're not supposed to somehow form soy into beef. I mean, if you want beef, eat beef. Don't eat impossible burgers. Um, so, uh, yeah, tomorrow night we're coming back with the podcast. We'll be talking all about Newsom and his TikToks. Um these TikToks that he's been putting out kind of trying to like what he says fact checked or bring truth to all this stuff, even though most of his arguments are very lame and they're kind of like uh, what's word? mostly straw men, uh, mostly these weird kind of arguments where he starts off on one foot and then really quickly pivots to something else that doesn't really make any sense. And like I said, uh, I do these kind of responses. You've seen them, the little reels that I do, uh, but you can't really dive into them as much. So that's why I wanted to do a whole podcast on like a bunch of them and just kind of really talk about all of them and go more in depth. So if you're into that stuff, if you're into fact checking tomorrow night at 8 p.m., we'll be live on YouTube. Uh, be joined by Cynthia and Camille. We're going to have a great time fact checking. I'll be excited to get the podcast back together. A lot of technical uh, technology stuff is being updated. Hopefully more videos. I want to get more YouTube videos and all that stuff. Anyway, so. Um, I think that's enough announcements for right now. I don't really know if there's anything else I need to talk about. There's, that's basically it. I feel like when I didn't do the podcast for two weeks, I feel like I've been away for two weeks, even though we've been doing this coffee in California politics, still doing it normally every Wednesday morning at 9am on Instagram. 
um, for the audio listeners. If you listen to this on audio, it sounds like I'm talking to myself or I'm going off on rants. It's because I'm also in, in this Instagram live checking out your chats and we're kind of sitting and chatting, talking about coffee or talking about California politics over coffee. Uh, this morning's coffee, as usual, is a it's the same thing last week, coffee or diet from Black Rifle Coffee. So added a little cream to it. Um, so uh, let's see. I'm going to go check on SB 918. Uh, yeah, give us the update because SB 918, if you're not aware what SB 918 is, and then we'll get into our top topic today, which is student loans and the broken promise of the UC system here in California. I didn't go to a UC. I'm actually rocking a shirt from uh, my alma mater, which is University of Pacific. They were a private university. They were actually the first chartered college in the state of California. Fun fact. Uh, but they were first out in like Santa Clara. Then they moved to the Central Valley. Beautiful Stockton. Uh, that's where I went and spent four years of my life out in Stockton. Um, so I know the Central Valley pretty well after being there for four years. Um, and know that it's much different than when you live in a place like San Diego. And especially when people think like, oh, you went out to California. You must be surfing and seeing movie stars all the time. And then you live in Central Valley and you live in Stockton and it's not the same at all. Um, but yeah, SB 918 is basically they are trying to get rid of all of your rights to carry and conceal here in the state of California. I don't want to get too far off topic here because we do have a lot to talk about and I want to leave time for you guys to obviously chat and come converse about everything. That's the point of this. Uh, SB 918 basically makes the entire state a sensitive place, meaning they would outlaw your ability to carry uh in uh churches and private businesses um basically everywhere name a place that's out in the public that you go uh and you wouldn't be able to allow to carry you'd be allowed to go into a private business if they put a sign on the door that says carry and conceal welcome and good luck anybody in the state of california who uh want to put that sign in their window without getting some sort of retribution or retaliation from people, uh, from crazy, you know, uh, liberals who see that and go absolutely nuts about that. You wouldn't be able to carry on the sidewalk of any of these places or in the parking lot of any of these places. So any of these places you would not be able to go to. So basically you would not be able to carry and conceal anywhere in the state of California in uh, a suburb or a city or anything like that. Um, and at the end of the day, I mean, I guess you could go carry and conceal out in a forest or in a desert or something like that. Uh, but that's basically what they're doing. So, uh, Osvaldo Triggerology, great follow if you're a big second amendment person, he's a firearms instructor. So he knows a lot about this stuff. Uh, he's really on top of this stuff. Uh, I think it would fail in the court, obviously under Bruin, uh, you can't make an entire city or an entire state, for that matter, a sensitive place where you can't carry a gun. It would fail under Bruin, but it could get caught up in litigation for years and years. But there's ways around it. There's ways that you could ask for a preliminary injunction because it's a violation of your Second Amendment rights. You could ask the Supreme Court for an emergency order be under Bruin. They would likely grant it because Bruin is so new and that they made it pretty, pretty straightforward. Six to three, they're, they're all in support. Or six out of three are in support. Um, but yeah, SB 918, that's the other one I'm really keeping an eye on because as someone who just got their carrying concealed license, uh, I don't want to have to think that I went through all that work 
and all that waiting and all that money um, just to not be able to use it anywhere. So anyway, uh, let's get into the top topic of today, which is the student loan forgiveness and the the broken UC system. Now, everyone's been talking about the student loan forgiveness that has been happening, and we can touch upon it a little bit, and we can talk about student loan forgiveness, and we can talk about how that's going to affect people, how it's not going to help with inflation. I'm sure you've heard a lot of people already postulating about that, but I want to talk about first, I want to talk about the broken UC system, because at the end of the day, okay, you can't have student loan forgiveness if you're not going to address the underlying issue, which is the cost of tuition and these colleges and universities that are getting away with highway murder or highway robbery uh, when it comes to tuition costs. And um, it's kind of like, I I was thinking about this, I was trying to think of a good analogy the other day. It's kind of like if you ate something bad and it made you feel sick and and your body doesn't like it, you go to the doctor and the doctor says, okay, I'm going to give you this medicine so that you don't feel sick anymore. Um, then you go home, you take that medicine and you go back to eating the same thing that makes you sick. You haven't solved the problem. And the problem is that you are continuing to eat something that's making you sick. Nobody in in any of these tweets, when you look at what Joe Biden has said, when you looked at what noodles has said, none of them have said one thing about, we need to talk about the cost of tuition. None of them has said that Newsom made a big post about this is a great day for students and inequality and blah, blah, blah. And this is a fantastic move. And I applaud our president for doing such a thing. No one has talked about the fact or no one brings up in any of their social media or their tweets the fact that these schools are going to continue to charge these exorbitant rates and they're going to continue to charge more and more every single year because you haven't solved the problem. And the problem is that when you get the government involved into something like this, and the government is basically giving out the loans, they're backing the loans, there's really no risk to the banks at all because what's the big deal? If the government backs these loans, you can give these loans out as much as you want. It's not like if you're giving out a loan for a house, and even a house, even you know, it's even tougher to get a loan for a house, and that's collateralized, meaning that if you don't pay the loan, the bank can just take back the house and sell it and try and make more money on it. If you don't pay, pay back your student loans, well, you can't discharge it in bankruptcy. They'll come after you, wage garnishment, all that stuff. You'll go into default. There's no way to really get rid of it. Um, but it's harder to get a loan for a, a commodity that is collateralized, like a house, than it is to get loans for students who... Most of these students can't really prove what they're doing is of value. And it continues to go up and up and up because if the money and the faucet of, of free money and cheap money is going to continue going, then why stop? Why would you get why would you stop? It's kind of like when you see a lot of people who want to get construction contracts with the government is because that they guarantee overages, they guarantee that the government's going to pay if it goes over, that if it goes over budget, they don't have to worry about coming in under budget or ahead of schedule or anything like that. They're guaranteed the money, and they're guaranteed even over more money. So that's why, that's the biggest thing, and they don't want to admit it. Why? Because this was a policy set in place by President Barack Obama 
during his time, um, I was in college before President Obama was elected. I was still as George Bush, George W. Bush. Um, so the, it wasn't it hadn't switched over yet. So you still had to get loans that were backed by the government or weren't given out by the government. And I remember college was not as expensive as you see it now. I did get scholarships. I got grants and stuff like that. I still came out with student loans. But the cost of when you look at something like law school, going to law school after President Obama and that it all of a sudden skyrocketed. And I had even a really good scholarship and a lot of money put forward towards law school. And there's still student loans at the end of it. Why? Because they'll just willy nilly give you money. They don't really. It was so easy to just sign a paper and, the, and money would just show up. So without taking precautions or at least a serious look at what is really causing the rate of tuition to go up. And this is from Forbes magazine. Uh, in 1980, the price to attend a four-year college full-time was $10,231 annually, including tuition fees, room, and board. Now you look at tuition, and they have to make sure that they parse out that this is the tuition. I mean, this is what you pay the school just to attend, and this is what goes to the school. Then they have to add on, well, if you decide room and board and you want to live there and all that stuff, here's the extra amount of money. It could be in like the twenty to $30,000 range to pay to live at a campus in their housing to get their food plans and all that stuff. And that stuff adds up pretty quickly. Um, because if you're not working on the side and you decide I'm just going to be a student full time and you need a way to support yourself, if you're not living at home, you decide to go away to college. It gets pretty pricey to live and feed yourself, and, and you're not given a lot of money, that's for sure. You're not given a lot of money. I always remember when people at the beginning of the school year, um, this is, just shows you how bad kids are with money. Even in law school, I remember people would always have so much money because they would get like their big one lump sum from the student from student loans. And they would just want to go buy stuff. They'd want to go out. They'd want to go out to restaurants. Uh, and then by the end of the semester, you'd be like, hey, you want to go out and grab something to eat? Nah, I'm really low on money right now. But yeah, because you probably spent it over the first couple months and you didn't know how to budget it out. Um, so the Forbes article goes on to say, uh, according to the National Center for Education Statistics and Adjusted for Inflation, by 2019 to 2020, the total price increased to 28775 that's a 180% increase. College prices have soared across all institution types, but private nonprofit institutions continue to cost more than public colleges. A full-time student paid 48965 at a private nonprofit college on average in 2019-2020 compared to 21035 at a public university. Uh, since 2019, however, the trend has slowed. In fact, the academic year 2019-2020... Uh, Average tuition fees and room has dropped up oh, a whopping 0.2% at private nonprofit four-year schools. From 2021 to 2022, uh, prices dropped a further 1.7. Hold on. Um, costs at a public four-year school followed a similar pattern in the similar time frame. Why have college prices risen so dramatically? Even if college prices have stabilized for now, they're still unmanageable for many students. More than half a bachelor's degree recipient for public or private four-year colleges graduated with debt in 2020, and the average debt load was $28,400, according to College Board. 
How did prices rise so substantially? There is a range of possibilities, many of which researchers aren't in agreement on. For example, increases in both federal student loan availability and the administrative positions at colleges are widely debated as contributing factors. So I'm glad they actually uh, acknowledge the fact that federal student loan availability has increased the cost because if there's nothing stopping these, you know, if you're going to get these easy to get loans and the colleges know they're going to get easy to get loans and a lot of these students really shouldn't have any business maybe going to college. Um, and that's why you have a prolifer- prolifer- proliferation of a lot of these useless degrees is because, well, we're just going to offer a degree for basically anything. Or you can fashion your own degree. You can paint by numbers. You can figure out your own degree. Whatever that's going to do, I don't know. But hey, uh, that's cool. You can make your own degree. So you can make your own degree in uh, paint by numbers or something like that. Completely useless, but hey, as long as we get your, your butt in the seat and we get your $60,000 a year paid for by the federal government, who cares, right? Um, administrative positions has gotten really out of control. You see a lot of these administrators who say they're going into working at these schools for the right reasons because they believe in education and all this and that, you know, all these laudable goals. Um, but at the end of the day, you look at their salary and they're making anywhere from 300000 to 500000 you go, boy, that's a really sweet gig. I wish I was the dean of a big university like that where I made $500,000 a year plus benefits, plus all this, plus pension, plus retirement. Um, so at least Forbes is acknowledging that there is a issue with the federal student loan uh, availability and why that's contributed to it. Uh, some other things that they said that really contributed to it, colleges provide more student support services. Why they need to, I, you know, this is one of those things where They've created a ecosystem on their own. Um, let's say they, it says they stepped in to fill many roles for students outside of educating. And this includes mental health support, which has become more necessary as college students navigate the pandemic. Okay. Plus help securing housing, food, transportation, child care, and more. Child care. I, I mean, I guess you can pay with student loans for child care. Basically, a lot of these universities have created their own economic ecosystems. You don't have to go anywhere. There's grocery stores. There's cafeterias. I mean, it's a basically a little socialist utopia where the government pays for you to go to these places. You don't have to worry about paying for any of it. And it's all provided to you, right? It's not provided to you for free. I mean, you do have to pay for this stuff. Um, but they do create these little ecosystems to make it feel like, oh, this is home. As opposed to where colleges used to be a place where you went, you showed up, you went to class, and then you went home. And that was basically it. The whole point was you wanted to go there to learn. Um, adding these services requires hiring non-faculty personnel to staff and manage them. Programs at community colleges that provide academic and personal guidance to students through individuals can cost 1000 to 5700 per student. Um, changes in state and local funding, which we're going to get to more in a little bit regarding the UC system. Uh, seeing that a lot of states have not been kicking in as much as they are supposed to. So for all these states, especially like here in California, that tout that they have a $100 billion surplus, um, they don't seem to really want to put more into the the college system to help that. Uh, overall increases in costs for services, industries like education, um, Unlike other areas of the economy, like manufacturing, it's difficult to increase productivity in higher education while maintaining the same experience. 
New technology improved methods can increase production at a steel mill, for example, but there's not much innovation to introduce a traditional 10-person literature seminar without sacrificing quality. I mean, yeah, but it, it didn't change. the. I don't think a literature seminar from 1980 has drastically changed to now. So now I want to move and kind of pivot to the UC system. And I didn't really know a lot about the UC system until I started looking this up. I, I as an outsider, someone who's an out of state resident, I don't I didn't really know much about the UC system. I had known I wanted to go to California for college. But I looked at UC systems and saw them as a out of state resident that I said that this is really just unbelievably expensive. I remember it was something like sixty thousand dollars if I wanted to go to some place like a UC as an out of state resident, as opposed to I think for residents, and I'm just quoting here, I, I, I think it was a difference of like $34,000 to like $60,000 if you were out of state. And that's one of the things that they are planning on now is that they want to get more people from out of state to come to these UC systems because they pay this full boat in private funds and the state doesn't have to kick in as much. But this is something interesting that I didn't know about the UC system. I believe I heard it and I wanted to confirm it was that the UC system was originally started as free college it was this idea that it was going to be free higher education in 1868 the organic act charters the university of california it creates the uc board of regents as a governing body and roughly outlines the board's financial admission responsibilities it states for the time being an admission fee and rates of tuition such as board of regents shall deem expedient may be required of each pupil as soon as the income of the university shall permit admission and tuition shall be free to all residents of the state uh, this is from the daily the daily clog uh, by the daily californian um, i'll post all the links in the show notes for the podcast if you want to go check this out um that was it they were supposed to be free in 1868 when they started they said the idea of this is that it's going to be free education for everybody and that was 1868 that was a long time ago um and that was where it started from and this is where the idea of this broken promise of the uc system comes in is when you look into the uc system and where it came from and what the ideology was then you start to see well did they break the promise and are they really not are they not living up to what the goal of the uc is somebody asked sure but funded by who um i i think it was funded somewhat by taxes and i think it was funded somewhat by the public it is a public education system so that was the idea and i, I want to talk a little bit about that um as well and yet yeah, state schools were free for a long time for a lot of college california residents and that was sort of the thought ha uh, through all of this and through almost over i don't know almost 100 years that higher education in the state of california should be free and now you look at the cost and it's a lot more uh financially this is uh, 1897 financially is established for needy and deserving students uh, 1921 though tuition is still free california residents are now required to pay an incidental fee of a total of 25 dollars per year to cover services not related to instruction so stuff to like maintain the actual university and stuff like that uh, tuition for non-residents in 1921 at a uc system a uc school 
was $75 per year. Uh, 1956, incidental fee raises to a whopping $84 per year. Tuition for non-residents then increases, hold up, to $300 per year. Tuition is still free for California residents into 1956, right? Into 1956, there was still free college. If you could do it, if you could get into these UC systems, it was still free. Uh, 1960, the California Master Plan, largely developed by Clark Care, supports keeping the UC system tuition-free for California residents, but maintains that fees should be charged to cover costs coming from areas such as laboratories, health, and athletics. The two governing boards reaffirm the long-established principle that state colleges and the University of California shall be tuition-free to all residents of the state. So even continuing, again, 1960, we still have free tuition for all the UCs. So, still free, still free, still free. Uh, now, you get into the 70s. Uh, in a symbolic move away from free tuition for residents, students must now pay an additional educational fee, right? Now, in 1970, we get into the broken promise of the UC system. The fee is $150 per year for undergraduate students and $180 per year for graduate students. Again, still very reasonable, but they already broke the promise of 1868, that it was supposed to be free as a public education. It's a way to create public education for higher learners. Uh, and can, it would, keeps going, it keeps going, it increases. Then by 1996, uh, it was $12,000. 2004, then Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger and U UC President Robert Dines and then CSU Chancellor Charles Reed strike a private deal called the Higher Education Compact to increase reliance on private student fees. So there you go. In 2004, um, Oh, are we getting breaking news that SB 918 just failed? Uh, it's big news. If we can confirm that SB 918 just failed, that would make me very, very happy. Uh, so now we're in 2004. The state funds approximately 16% of the total UC budget. 2011, for the first time, the total amount of UC students pay in tuition exceeds the amount of funding the UC system receives from the state. So until 2011... This was the first time you started to see the switch from where the state was supposed to really provide all of the funding for this public education. Again, this is public education. There's no secret as to where the money's coming from. It's coming from taxpayers. It's coming from the public. It's coming from us who are helping to fund it. Um, now we get into 2011 where UC students are paying more in tuition than the UC system is actually getting from the state. 2012, 42% of UC Berkeley uh, undergraduates received loans with an average loan of 4867 Undergraduate students owe an average of $19,000 by graduation. Still not a bad amount. Still not really a bad amount. Um, 2013, 2012, tuition is now the largest single source of core operating funds. Students contribute nearly $3 billion in tuition fees versus the $2.38 billion the state contributes. So there you have it. What was supposed to be public education funded by the state, the promise of 1868 and this original charter for the University of California, the whole UC system is now officially broken. That no longer is it public education that was created by the state to allow for people to go for free for California residents. Now we've gotten to the point where 
the UC systems are funded by students and their private loans, or in this point, federal-backed loans. And you now see that they are no longer even trying to get UC system back to a free system. It is now a huge money-making opportunity. The UCs make billions and billions of dollars, as you can see. I mean, $3 billion in tuition and fees. That's a lot of money for a lot of these schools. Um, and only, the state's only kicking in 2.38, and this was in 2011. Uh, approximately, in this 2013, approximately 64% of UC Berkeley undergraduates receive financial aid, including grants, scholarships, work, study, and loans. After a three-year tuition freeze, the UC Board of Regents voted November 20th to increase student fees by up to 5% over the next five years. So the UC system is broken, right? The idea of public education has failed, or at least free higher education has failed. Why is that? I can only postulate it's likely because of the addition of all of these extra services that were not so really supposed to be a part of college, like we just talked about. Mental health, child care, support, all of these things, safe spaces, whatever, you know, kitty ballrooms where you can go release stress or whatever it is. Um, those things probably contributed a lot to the cost and where that's, that money is going to. Also, once you start to see that you can make money off of these students, why would you not make money off of these students? And now that you know that there's going to be federally backed loans or the government's just going to be handing out loans, why not try and make more money? So these schools have expanded beyond really what they were supposed to initially do. Free education, free higher education for people in California. And it bothers me because it just shows one thing about our state government, which is that its priorities are not necessarily in the right place. California is a, could be a successful over, incredibly successful um, state. It is an incredibly successful state. It was an incredibly successful state for a long time. It's on a downward trajectory, in my opinion. You could fund stuff like this if you really cared about funding it. When you think about the billions of dollars and where it goes, if you look at the budget and you say, what would it cost to provide free education? Just education, not all this other stuff, not all the room and board and all that. What would it cost to just provide free education for the state of California? Cut away the, the bells and whistles, cut, trim away the fat. What would it cost to provide that system to its citizens? And I bet we could afford it. I really bet the state of California could actually get back to that promise and give out free education and free public education for higher learning. Do, does that mean I necessarily want to do that? Not necessarily, but the point is that We've gotten so metastasized and we've gotten so bloated with our budgets and where we're wasting money that if the UC system is now making all of its money through private student fees and from student loans, you've broken what was supposed to be the original promise. And they're going to say, they're going to say, well, we need more money. That's why we need more money to help these students and da, da, da. The state should give us more money or you should give us more taxes because it's going to go to the UC system. It's going to help people, but not when you're charging $40,000 or $60,000 a year. I was going to look it up, but I know there's a whole bunch of different places um, you could look at. Let me just look up real quick while I take a break from chatting for a second. I do want to see, just out of curiosity, UC San Diego tuition. We're doing this live. Because I should have pulled this up. 
and I'm sorry I didn't, but that's the beauty of a live show like this. Is sometimes you just got to do it. Let's see. Uh, bu- 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 2023 tuition fee and chart, and this is just for the UC San Diego. Uh, full partial fee summary here. Let's see. Student services. USC San Diego fees. What does that say? Total for California residents. Now resident tuition. Um, I'm trying. This is really confusing. What the heck is this? I don't really know how to even read this. It's like a spreadsheet that doesn't really tell you anything. Okay. If anyone knows, you can just chime in in the chat. Let's say UC Berkeley. That is. Berkeley tuition. No? No? Okay. Tuition. My computer. This was the technical stuff that I was talking about, is that my computer is freaking out, and we need a new computer. Okay. For some reason, it doesn't want to play nice today. That's interesting. But anyway, um, it's definitely not free anymore. I know for a fact when I looked at it, at the UC system, it was close to $60,000, and this was almost like, I don't know, 15 years ago. Um. And there, there is this commentary I'm going to talk about real quick, and then we can get into comments and questions and all that. Um, it does look like SB 918 failed, so we're getting this information live right now on the show, uh, that it is that it is officially dead. Hopefully. It, it is, right? I, I'm just kind of asking you guys that it has failed. Because if it has, great news for the Second Amendment people. Confirmed fail. Awesome. SB 19 has confirmed failed. So for all you carrying concealed people, if you were if you were apprehensive about it, go out and apply for your CCW. It's failed for this year. Go out and get it. I mean, I think you should go get it anyway, regardless of whether SB 918 was going to pass or not. It was going to be struck down in court. But now you, there's really nothing holding you back. Go out and get your CCW. Um, if you haven't, I mean, just go apply for it right now. So they do have to fix it, though. That's the one thing is they do have to fix that law. Because currently, and now I'm getting off topic, and we'll get back to the commentary about the UC system. Um, currently, if they don't fix the law right now, as is, the law as it stands on the books is actually unconstitutional. You can't require a good cause anymore under the Bruin decision. So currently, the law for carrying conceal requires that you go through a process that shows good cause. So technically, the law and the framework that is on the books is unconstitutional. And there was a demur that I think I went over basically saying that you can't be charged for an unconstitutional framework. Uh, for UC schools, tuition, books, and fees are about 20000 per year, not including housing and travel. Is that for, that's for residents. So $20,000 a year. Uh, let's see. This guy used to be, I think he was a, he was something involved in the UC system. Uh, he's talking about the commentary, California needs new master plan for higher education. State should defund the UC system. So he says the state should be completely out of the UC system. That's his thing. Um, that the state should just stop funding the UCs, which really would be breaking the promise of the original UC system was that it's public education. If it's if the state's completely out of it, then it's no longer public education. It's just a private university. 
so his problems are, first, we have an access crisis, the lack of expansion of public universities, even as the California population has grown, so California has the fewest public universities seats per capita of any state in the country. Second, we have a quality problem. While the UC system is still among the best public universities in the country, there's been an inexorable decline in overall rankings. When I applied to college in 1989, Berkeley was ranked the number six college in the country. This year, it had fallen to number 22. Third, underpinning the other two problems, we have a funding problem. As the Public Policy Institute of California has documented, higher education spending has been systematically deprioritized in Sacramento, falling from 18% of the state budget. Uh, 1977 to just 12% in 2017. The funding cuts have been felt mostly strongly at the University of California, where funding per full-time student fell from 23,000 to only about 8,000. And then he talks about his plan. Uh, Well, this was the plan. This was the master plan by Clark Kerr, which I talked about in the last article. The plan to find a system that would have the elite tier, the University of California training the emerging knowledge worker and managerial class, as well as doing basic research. That was the plan for the University of California. So you had like sort of the eggheads were coming out of the UC system. The middle tier, which is the state colleges, now joined together as the California State University System. I imagine that's all your state schools like San Diego State, SF State, and all that. Providing general education for the expanding middle class. And a broadly accessible lower tier is the first rung on the ladder available to all the California community colleges. Given the structure of the booming industrial post-war economy in California, this system made a great deal of sense. And was the foundation for a long boom that saw California become arguably the most successful economy in the world in the last third of the 20th century. And it's debatable, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having different levels of what people want. Uh, his four-step proposal would achieve both these goals while remain revenue neutral for the state. Transfer all UC state funding to CSU and CCC to enable the liar's expansion. Abolish the University of California Office of President. Devolve all the property and governance to individual UCs. Allow UCs to raise in-state tuition levels to meet full funding needs, so UCs would get even more expensive than, than they already are. Mostly because, why not? I mean, they can get the money from the federal government. And mandate 90% of students come from in-state and one-third of tuition go to financial aid. So, that's his, his plan. Um, probably the most controversial, and this is a point that he would, he really talked about that, just shows you his contempt probably the most controversial element of the proposal would be to allow ucs to raise in-state tuition to whatever level they would like this is essential to backfill the loss of state funding at berkeley for example this would likely mean raising in-state tuition sticker prices from the current fourteen thousand to about twenty-five thousand, or perhaps a bit more in order to improve services on campus the campuses would also have a strong incentive to expand the size of their student bodies in order to increase revenues now did you hear what he said there right you would increase the size of the student bodies to make up for revenue. He didn't say anything about cutting costs or figuring out why is it so expensive. Right? He didn't say that. He didn't say maybe we should look at why these things are so expensive and we should fix that. He said, let's just get more butts in the seats. And if you're knowing that you're going to get a lot of money from the federal government and the faucet's not being turned off anytime soon, then it's simple. Right? If you have a large supply of customers that are going to come in and pay bring in as many customers as you want you don't have to worry about it like your bottom line the the way to make your bottom line look better just get more paying customers not look at costs because when you don't have as many customers you have to figure out how to cut costs that's not his his thing and obviously as a former regent or something like that 
he obviously doesn't want to see people and his buddies and professors hurt in the in the financial sense. So why not just increase the size of the student body so they can make even more money? Um, but who would be the losers in this plan? The answer is basically only three. The first would be the rich families whose children currently are admitted to UCs and enjoy a state-subsidized tuition. This is a legitimate objection only if we believe that the state should be subsidizing these most privileged of Californians. Right. If that's your argument, who pays most taxes in the state of California? Right? Let me just say that. Who, who pays the majority of taxes, not only in the state of California, but for the federal government? I'll give you a second to respond in the chat. Who pays the most taxes to fund the University of California? Hmm. Could it be those rich, privileged families that get 40% of their income basically taken away from them under California income taxes? Possibly. So where do all those taxes? It's not the people at the bottom of the income rung who are funding all that money. So it's middle class and up middle upper class and up um so he's saying that it's not fair that rich families or well-to-do privileged families who pay most of the taxes in the state of california can't send their kids to school at the ucs that they pay taxes to to fund these universities because their kids would be getting subsidized tuitions so the People who pay the most in taxes basically have to sit on the sidelines and take it. That's his argument. When the creation, again, go back to the promise of 1868. Was there a promise that, oh, we're going to create public education for those of lower economic status? Was that the original promise? No. The original promise was all California residents, that they were all going to be able to get free education. Now this guy's advocating that we should only allow people to get access to these UCs who are not privileged, even though they're paying the most in taxes. That's sort of a backwards logic of where does the money come from and you're not allowing them to enjoy it. So if that's the case, I would imagine the people who are paying these taxes are going to go, well, then why am I paying taxes to the UC system if you're not allowing my kid to go there? Or you're going to make them pay full boat. Then what's the point? And I guess this whole thing is get the state out of it. Fine. Then a lot of people probably won't go to the UCs and they probably won't pay full boat. They'll just go somewhere else. Uh, The second possible set of losers could be UCs that find themselves unable to compete effectively, which could include the campuses at Merced and Riverside. However, they would hold their fate in their own hands if they improved their product enough to be able to generate the demand. For their higher tuition product, they find would no doubt find themselves very attractive. Sure, that's actually a legitimate argument. Without the state backing you, without the state kind of being your safety net, you would actually have to compete for those private dollars in a sort of marketplace. So how do you do that? you got to make a better product. You won't be subsidized by the state anymore, so therefore you got to figure it out. I actually agree with that argument. I, I, it's, it's complete turnaround from the argument before where he basically said, if you're rich and you're paying a lot in taxes, we shouldn't be subsidizing your child to go to the UC system, which you are paying for. Um, the last and most subtle set of losers are those who insist on hanging on to the old system and it's super, <coughs> excuse me, 
superannuated vision of the California colony and broken social compact. Fundamentally, we need a new system that matches the needs of the state as they evolved since 1960. A new master plan for higher education in California would be a crucial step for enabling a new and better California. Or just a new and better public education system. Not necessarily new and better California. Um, there's a lot I could go into about student loans. And I'll, I'll, I'll end with this. And kind of bringing it back around. At the end of the day, if we don't really figure out the root cause of why student loans are a problem, we're never going to solve student loans. And this is just the first. This will just be the first in a long line of gimmies by the Democrats. We're going to say, well, well, we'll give you a little bit more. You know, make sure you, uh, you know, vote for us in the midterm because you never know. There might be another student loan forgiveness right around the corner for you. Um and maybe we'll forgive even more this time. It'll be $20,000. And before you know, if you keep voting us in, we'll just keep wiping away the debt. Even though you don't wipe away debt, it has to go somewhere. And if you're not addressing the fact that these, this system, currently as it is, with the federal government basically issuing loans and writing them up as much as possible, then you're not going to solve it. We have to get the federal government out of universities we have to cut off the spigot and these universities are going to have to return to some sort of uh economical way of running their universities they can't continue just look at the only way to get more people is to get more butts in the seats they, that can't be the only way they have to say well i want the best and the brightest and we're going to do it this way or that way and it doesn't have to be about providing all these different services to make it a utopia that you live at like some sort of campus those are the hard issues, and nobody wants to hear that. Nobody wants to really talk about it in the sense that they don't want to talk about taking away stuff. They just want to say, we're going to do this, and we're going to forgive all, forgive $10,000 of your student loan or up to $20,000. But we're not really going to fix the problem, and we still expect the state to continue doing it. It's like when they announced that they're going to be a $7,500 tax credit on cars here in california for if you get an electric car you know what the car manufacturers then go out and do they're not dumb they go out and they increase their prices by eighty five hundred dollars why because they know you're getting seventy five hundred dollars what is a college university is going to do now if they know that the federal government's just going to keep forgiving loans they may increase their tuition because why not? It doesn't really change. They're not being held to any sort of standard. They're, they're not having their feet held to the fire. Right? There's a lot of ways you can fix this. In my mind, I think you can do plenty of things. I think you can, one, which is one plan that I've advocated for, is that you can make student loan, federal student loan payments pre-taxable. Why not? Let's make them pre-tax payments like 401k. You can pay into a 401k for your retirement. Why not pay down your student loans with pre-tax payments? If that's one way to do it, you could do it that way. I think trade schools should be free. If they want to dump billions of dollars into some sort of school system, I think trade schools should be free. I think we need more blue-collar workers. There's a lot of ways to do it and a lot of ways to fix what's going on. Um, so... I found nothing on SB 918. Not a good sign. They may pull off a last-minute vote in the dead night. Uh, some people confirmed that it was dead. 
or maybe now we're getting conflicting reports about SB 918. Some people said it was dead. Some people confirmed. I can't see it right now. Um, but there's a lot of ways to fix it. And right now, this is not the way to fix it. And if UC system is any sort of indication, is eventually they're going to break the promise that this idea of we can provide uh, all of this for free without it ever increasing, without someone putting their hand in the cookie jar and trying to get more out of it, then the UC system is the perfect example of what happens when the state gets involved in education. And that's just, that's really sort of the whole issue here, is the state being involved in public education. So, anyway, got a couple minutes left uh, for comments or questions. I know people are talking about SB 918, that it said it was failed yesterday. Um, <clears throat> nothing should be free if people want to make a better life for themselves. They need to sacrifice for it. Agreed. Yeah. I guess that explains why Newsom is clutching his pearls over UCLA leaving for the Big Ten. Um, I think he's just trying to be an everyman and, and talk about something that makes him seem like an a everyman sort of guy. I don't think he really cares about college football or anything like that. Do you think, do you think Noodles is sitting there watching college football every Saturday? Um, they're trying today. Again, I see Moms Demand Victims tweeting about it full force. Interesting. So we're gonna, I guess the SB 918, we're still kind of on the fence of what's going on. Conflicting reports kind of coming in. Uh, there's a lot of revenue to be made in college football. Yeah, there absolutely is. There's a lot of money to be made in college football. I think I, I'm, I'm of the belief that like these athletic scholarships, I don't know. I, I think they get ridiculous. Um, I know a lot of people rely on them. I don't know why we don't have like, it, the whole system is just kind of, gotten way out of hand so you should have the arm scholar on the podcast he does google yeah arm scholar is really great i, I like arm scholar i like reno may they're all very they're very smart i real i watch a lot of their stuff so it'd be great to have the arm scholar on maybe i can sit down with him and talk about this they're both californians i know that reno may is definitely californian um do, 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 Cal <laughs> he's somebody said he's romping around on his vineyards that take massive amounts of water that's denied to our farmers yeah, and, and taking tax breaks under his winery and using it as a vehicle to avoid taxes. Like when they sold, when the when the house that he lives in now was given to his LLC to avoid taxes, a $4 million house. And this guy wants to talk about paying your fair share when he's using his LLC as a way to kind of funnel property and money to him to avoid taxes. There's a lot going on. If you look in a Plump Jack winery and what he's done with Plump Jack winery and how him and his business partner have used Plump Jack winery as their own sort of piggy bank, I mean, the corruption goes way deeper. Um, I don't know if he got PPP loans. That's a good question whether um, uh, that's a good question about PPP loans and whether Plump Jack winery. Well, Plump Jack winery was open. Remember, Plump Jack winery was open during the entire pandemic. So. It wouldn't be, I mean, he could get it, but he didn't have to close, remember? That was the whole thing, was that his winery remained open while everyone else was shut down. So, look into Plump Jack Winery. Look into Plump Jack Winery and Jason Kinney. If you want to really go down the rabbit hole of noodles corruption, 
Jason Kinney, I've said this before on the show, Jason Kinney is the uh, top oil and gas lobbyist in the state of California. And he is best friends with Noodles. And they're really close. In fact, if you want any evidence that they are best friends, the whole uh, French laundry issue, that was, he was going to a birthday party for Jason Kinney. That was his birthday party where they spent $15,000 on the bar tab. So, I don't know how that's not a conflict that he's getting wined and dined by this lobbyist or anything like that. That's the big issue that we always kind of look over is that, oh, yeah, he went out maskless at a fancy restaurant that none of us could probably afford. Um, But that's not really the issue. The issue is that he was there with Jason Kinney, who was a big oil and gas lobbyist. And no one talks about that. No one talks about that issue that he's really close friends with him. And as soon as he became governor, he issued, I think, a a half a dozen leases or so to companies that Jason Kinney lobbied for that got special sort of exceptions and and special privileges. Um, So if you want to go down that rabbit hole, who Jason Kinney is, and nobody talks about Jason Kinney and his weird relationship with Newsom. He was on like his uh, gubernatorial board and like his transition team. And then he jumped off the transition team, went back to being a lobbyist. And then all of a sudden there's these oil and gas permits that were issued after he was on. It's like this. If you ever want to look into it, there's a whole bunch of stuff. Um, Yeah. Ironic. We could produce so much more oil. California could produce a ton of oil, you know. And I've said this before. Someone in in the chat just said, ironic, we could produce so much more oil if we wanted. Uh, California, I think, has a good economy despite what California does or in spite of what California does. That's the correct terminology. In spite. Um, meaning that, yeah, there's still a lot of people who want to come to California. There's still demand for people who want to come to California. Not necessarily businesses. Businesses are leaving at a high rate, which is going to hurt in the long run. Um, there is so much potential of what California could be, you know? We could produce a ton of oil and sell it to other states and make a a mint. Not the state necessarily. I mean, the people who do that, workers, create jobs, create economies, create small town economies around these oil wells. I mean, the small towns that are around these oil wells could pop up and make for jobs and stuff like that. Because you think about when there's a center of economic um, activity like an oil well with people with money who want to live in that area and then they want to live in you know dine in that area guess what the economy pops up around that too uh, there's natural gas there is a ton of opportunity with natural resources there's a ton of opportunity here in the state of california to do a lot of these things but a lot of it is chopped off at the legs because of the greenies who don't want to allow anything to happen and instead they would rather we cover all of our beautiful hills with the solar panels that then have to be disposed of in 10 years, just a short 10 years. And we still don't know how to really get rid of them and recycle them or dispose of them in a, in a proper way that is still environmentally sound. So makes you wonder where the priorities are. And I, I can tell you the priorities are not with you. That's for sure. They tell you these green policies because they want to push them for the greenies and the lobbyists who, who, who lobby on behalf of it and donate to their campaigns. So, 
Lots of great job opportunities for jobs and oil blue collar folks that would make a ton of money. Yeah. There's a lot of work to be done in oil. And California has, I think we went over a couple weeks ago, we talked about um, all of the refineries that have been paused or shut down or stuff like that. And there's only like several that are still hanging on by a thread. But if you reopened a lot of these refineries and wells, all of a sudden there's a huge amount of activity that could be done. And I don't understand why we're buying oil from different countries when there's so much oil we could produce here under our watchful eye, making sure it's done responsibly and cleanly. Um, that at the end of the day, we could we could create and help people here in our own backyard. Instead, we're buying a lot of oil from like Latin America which then requires ships to get it over here. It's just, it doesn't make any sense to me. It doesn't make a lot of sense to a lot of people. You know, if you're, you could, if you're that worried about it, I would rather say like, hey, we could do it here where we know what's going on and we can at least have some regulation on it as opposed to buying it from another country that you don't know what's going on. With their regulate, are they hurting the environment? Is it not as efficient? Are they spilling it and stuff like that? So, just goes to show that their priorities are not really in the right place. All right, I'll take a couple more questions in chats. As I said, tomorrow we'll be back with a live podcast, eight p.m. We're going to be going over Newsom's TikToks um, and all of his truth and, and fact checking. It should be fun. There's going to be a lot to talk about. He's got a lot of TikToks, so he's a big fan. Energy should be as regional as possible. Yeah. Just bought the Elite Tank Tops. Ooh, thank you. Thank you for buying. That's one of my favorites. Uh, it's one of my go-tos. I have the sweatshirt. I haven't worn it in a while. Obviously, it's been 80 degrees. I'm not going to wear the sweatshirt. But I do like when it gets colder. I love rocking the sweatshirt. The Elites hate you sweatshirt. There's a lot in the store. If you haven't checked it out, a lot of the designs have multiple products. So if you want a tank top or a sweatshirt or stuff like that, they all have it in there. Um, check it out. Uh, Don't Eat the Bugs is the newest one. I'm going to be working on a King Noodles one as well, which I gave you a little preview of. That should be coming out soon. Um, tank tops fit damn good. I wore it to the gym. That's awesome. Yeah. I get compliments on my nuclear and elite shirt. Yeah. I need to, I need to pick up. I want to get the, I should pick one out for myself, the, uh, the nuclear one. Um, nuclear one is funny. I, I like the nuclear one. You know, stop brownouts, support nuclear. We'll watch people's heads kind of turn around. Um, the elites hate you is kind of like, that's very, they're all good. I, I mean, I like all of them. Don't eat the bugs. I don't know if anyone's bought the don't eat the bugs and had anyone ask any questions what don't eat the bugs means. But these are conversation starters. So thank you to everybody who supports by buying merchandise and stuff like that. It does help. The podcast, it does help it grow. It does help to invest into tech stuff that does make the podcast better so we can do more videos, better podcasts, stuff like that. Um, so all of that does go to help. Um, and Christmas is coming up in a couple months, so it's always good to think about Christmas presents and stuff like that. All right, I'm going to hop off for the day. Thanks for tuning in. I thought you would hope, I, I, I hope everyone enjoyed that. I thought it would be interesting to talk about student loan crisis in sort of a California lens, as we always like to do. Um, I heard about the bill, about the popular vote. Is that real or legal? I don't know. I, I haven't heard that one. Any plan to make a sleeveless one? A sleeveless what? 
T-shirt, tank top. Well, that's the point of the tank top. It's really either a T-shirt or the tank top. They don't. I don't think they have off your sleeveless T-shirts. Um, but anyway, tomorrow night, 8 p.m., we'll be going over the TikToks. We're going to be fact-checking Newsom and all that stuff. Uh, thanks for everyone for tuning in. We keep doing this every Wednesday, 9 a.m., uh, Coffee and California Politics. And, uh, yeah, I'll see you all on the next one. Uh, have a good day. Later. Thank you for listening to another episode of California Underground. If you like what you heard, remember to subscribe, like, and review it. And follow California Underground on social media for updates as to when new episodes are available. 